<laughs> Guys, I can't fucking wait to see that movie. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And this week, we are bringing you a very special feature. Oh, yes. yes. We're going to play a fun little game of Mary Fuck Kill. I cannot wait to watch this movie again. Because it's just so fucking weird. We're about to hit the dance floor at Jackrabbit Slims because we've got that Saturday night fever, baby. I loved this movie, too. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. I just pray that Green Book doesn't win Best Picture. Oh, Picard. God, I know. That- <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Talk Movie to Me, a weekly podcast where we discuss a movie we've all seen, our week in entertainment, and an artist whose career we'd like to put in focus. I'm Edison. And I'm Missing Claire. And I'm Helen. And quick announcement before we begin. As of today, we are launching our Patreon account, which means that you can become a member of our Patreon, Talk Movie to Me, which means that you gain access to special episodes. Next week is going to be a special episode, so if you want to be able to access next week's episode, you have to become a Patreon member. Um, We are going to add the link to our Patreon account in the description for this episode. It will also be accessible via our website. Still figuring out all exactly where that's going to be but the link will definitely be in the description for this episode you can head on over there and see what that all entails okay so for this week's episode we watched antebellum the feature film debut of writer director duo gerard bush and christopher renz antebellum tells an interweaving story of veronica and eden both played by janelle Monet. One, a successful author and social justice commentator living in present-day America, and the other, a slave plotting her escape from a plantation in the antebellum South. But there's a glitch in the Matrix as these stories collide. Also starring in Antebellum are Jenna Malone, Jack Houston, and Gabrielle Sidibe. Antebellum asks the question, are the horrors of being black in America really a thing of the past? First impression, Helen. First impression of Antebellum, the opening scene is haunting and beautifully shot. I'm a sucker for a sunset. <laughs> uh, first impressions for me, 1999, 22 plus tax. That's what I paid to see this movie. And I was not happy about it <laughs> at all. Uh, this was not the theater experience. So I think I had kind of a bad taste in my mouth right away. Because I don't actually know how I feel about this whole home premiere. Mm. And I feel like if you're a couple people watching it, you at least get your money's worth in terms of if two people went to the movie theater, it would be more than $22. But if you're watching it on your own, it's definitely a lot. Mm -hmm. So that's my two cents on that. I don't know if my opinion will change on that eventually, but... That was actually my first impressions of this film that I didn't okay. want to pay nineteen ninety nine for it. Plus tax. That's fair. <laughs> Plus tax. For me, so the film opens with that quote, the past is never dead, it isn't even past, by William Faulkner. And it opens on the plantation. It's that one long single shot walking us through the estate, the skipping joy of that little white girl, the marching of Confederate soldiers, then through the slave quarters. Uh, into the cotton fields with all those black workers. I thought it was a pretty audacious opening shot. And certainly as this is like the feature film debut of these filmmakers, they clearly wanted to announce themselves with a big shot as being like capable visual storytellers. It was a really beautiful opening. The lighting and cinematography were gorgeous. It was like kind of like a beautiful fragrance commercial, which, you know, I love. <laughs> and the score, I was living for that like cello 
in the score. So I was really into this right off at the very beginning. Also, we should say a quick uh, spoiler alert. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. If you have not watched Antebellum yet, please don't listen to this segment. Maybe fast forward to um, our weekend entertainment. So, yes, Edison, I, I, I mean... It, there's no doubt that you do see how beautiful the ambiance of the South is. Unfortunately, that beauty is very <laughs> short-lived as this mm-hmm. film goes quite brutal right away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. a lot of this beauty is really mixed with uh, brutality quite quickly. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a crazy juxtaposition because there is something so kind of stunning about the American South and the landscape there and the way that mm-hmm. it's shot and the beautiful sunset and everything. And then you just go right into basically like torture porn. So for anyone who is unsure explicitly of what Antebellum references, it's a, a period of time in the history of America, basically from the late 1700s until the American Civil War in 1861. So for about a century, there was this huge economic growth in the southern states and it was due to slavery. And we saw this dramatic increase in slave trade in America at that time. Yeah, it's that is the history of the antebellum South is this really huge increase in slavery and the slave trade for about a century. So why don't we start with what worked for us about the film? Something that worked for me, I enjoy watching Janelle Monet act. I loved watching her in Moonlight. This is her first lead role. <laughs> Too bad her first lead role is such a shit film, but um, I she's I think she's a I think she's a great actress. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. So we I think okay that's actually hilarious, Helen. So why don't we just put our cards on the table here, you two? Like, yeah. can we just say, did we like this film? No. No. I mean, my one point for what worked was the fact that this was only an hour and a half long. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> that's it. And Janelle Monet. Right. Okay. So for me, there were a couple of things that worked. I did think that the score was actually really amazing. I found the score Mm -hmm. throughout it to be really, really strong. I do. I did actually like the score as well. Yeah. So that was uh, Roman Gian Arthur and Nate Rocket Wonder who did the score. So really shout out to them in this film because I thought that really kind of carried it. I agree with you, Helen. I also love Janelle Monet. I think she's Mm -hmm. got such a great presence. I love her. She seems super capable at everything. I've seen her in concert twice. Love her music. Like she's amazing. And we've talked about her in those other films. Uh, So she did the best that she could do with this incredibly underwritten character so yeah and that's about it for me too mm-hmm. great let's get into what didn't work right <laughs> the writing the, yeah. the writing yeah. is probably the worst offender mm-hmm. in, in in this film unfortunately honestly one of the biggest things that didn't work for me was right off the bat and I remember texting Helen while I was watching this I said why does this seem like the world's worst visit to like some sort of pioneer village Mm -hmm. oh my god hilarious like right off the bat i was like why does it seem like this is that these aren't real people they're like dressed up in costumes and they're Mm -hmm. you know actors that are playing these parts at a pioneer village like you know the pioneer village is when you go when you're a kid and you make candles and and butter this was like the world's most gruesome horrible field trip to a pioneer village I felt that that was off from the beginning. Like I couldn't get into the story because I felt that that was really glaring. 
I think there were little examples that kind of would make you go lean that way to say, okay, something's not right. Like at one point, one of the Confederate soldiers calls the other one a snowflake, which we know is just such contemporary parlance. Well, and... when he says that, though, that's after we the reveal that this is happening in modern day. Right. Like, the, And then she, you oh, know, she kind of wakes up and I was like, oh, okay, that was a dream of some sort fine right so then I kind of was like I'm gonna get keep giving this a chance let's just put it all on the line this is basically the village <laughs> and Night Shyamalan's the village <laughs> yeah like basically this character that Janelle Monae is is playing we see her in what we assume is during this time in history then we see her in modern day as it turns out she's actually been abducted by these freaks and is living in a plantation era reenactment park park that's this is actually happening in modern day so everything is happening during the same time and so that would give reason to how why you felt it what Sinclair why you thought it felt modern exactly so that is like the big reveal at the end but I could feel that from the beginning which took me out of the story for the whole time I was watching it like it Mm -hmm. felt like these people playing these tropey parts and then you realize that it's not just in the movie in the actual story of the movie but it's also a representation of the actual film all the characters were actual tropes in this mm-hmm. yeah like uh, for me it, none of it just didn't make sense so no. this film is totally the village it's also a, yeah. <laughs> a real attempt to be get out it's and just hostile that it, and nocturnal animals yeah it just doesn't earn any of those things and the reason why is because it doesn't make sense so when we finally get to the big reveal and we're like oh wait she's actually been like they're actually in real time uh then suddenly you're like wait why were all of these black people not why is she the only one that could get them out why was she the only one that realized that why were they all speaking as if they were on a plantation in the 1800s in the south like how I just, I didn't clock that at the beginning. I just thought it was poor writing and shitty acting. Why it was all so like mm-hmm. on the nose or whatever. I wasn't thinking, oh, there's something, you know. What I think this all boils down to is that this story isn't actually fleshed out and the world building is really poor. Right. They did not build a, wo- a world where this is believable. And one of the writer directors, Gerard Bush, said that he got the idea for this from a dream that he had and that's what it feels like it feels like oh this is like a weird dream where like something fucked up happens but none of it is credible mm-hmm. but also that's horseshit because this is also so much like i i'm in doing research for this film a lot of people mentioned octavia butler's 1979 book kindred which is about right. an african-american woman who gets transported back in time and experiences all the suffering of her ancestors um, so it's like, this is obviously referencing that. So if it came to this dude in a dream, I'm like, all right. And also, someone please explain to me how there are hundreds of people living in this reenactment park and they've abducted all these black people and like no one fucking knows about it. How is that and, possible? And also when she rides out at the end, there's like kids and parents. It, like it's an actual reenactment park that people know <laughs> of and visit, apparently. And- and they're like, just or happens just, to be this plot of land that's like hidden. That no, like, what? like, how? How? Like there was no teenager with a drone nearby that was like sh- filming over top. And then we get that weird pan up to a, an airplane flying above. And it's like, wait, did they not notice an airplane prior to this? <sighs> the only way that this conceit of them being trapped on this plantation even remotely could work is if they 
as if the black people who are there being enslaved didn't remember their previous life. Because right. the message and the implication, if they do, is that they're still being un- held under the thumb of these white people and without power or agency to do yeah. anything about it. Until Janelle Monet's character, a wealthy, successful, up-in-the-world-level black woman, suddenly can. Because she can ride horseback or something? Like, I don't get it. <laughs> it doesn't make any fucking sense. It does a complete disservice to every other black character in this film. And Janelle Monet escapes relatively easily, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, by like, and by it, herself, pretty by much. By herself. It's not a fucking <laughs> obstacle course. Like, it's pretty fucking easy for her to leave. How did all these other black characters not leave, not escape? Like, what is this trying to say? What is that saying about these people? I don't know. And, okay, so beyond <laughs> that, it also... None of the characters were real. Then when we snap to yeah. her life in the kind of real world where she's successful... Mm-hmm. All of the characters are so one-dimensional, including hers, Veronica. Every single line that came out of her mouth was like a platitude that you pull from Black Twitter or from any kind of socially woke website, blog. Every single character that they interact with just fed them nothing but microaggressions. It was just so drilling home this point. Well, especially because we're having these conversations about how these issues are actually so much more intricate Mm -hmm. than we've allowed them to be. That's the point. We're supposed to look at these things really deeply and see their intricacies. So to have these like over-the-top broad brushstrokes, I don't exactly know what this film was trying to do at the end of the day. I don't understand what the messaging is in this film that goes deeper than what we've been given by other films in the past that weren't enough. Right. Well, exactly that. It's like they just feel like by showing black suffering in the context of slavery, it's enough for us to be like, that's so terrible. But, but that's it's been, the been shown a hundred million times, of course. Yeah. It reduces the black experience in America to only being told through stories of violence and torture against them. I don't quite understand this one. This one has perplexed me. It, yeah. it could have been a really cool story. Like there were little elements here. When we like flash to the f- future or the present... Uh, at the beginning, I thought, oh, okay, this is interesting. Is this going to be a story about like the inherited intergenerational trauma of yeah, slavery? That's what maybe, I thought. Maybe yeah. you're going to like explore that and what that means and explore its impact on the Janelle character of the of today. But no, it yeah. wasn't that. It just didn't go deeper at all. It was all they were trying to say basically was racism still exists today and there's all kinds mm-hmm. of white Americans who would be happy to s- set up this plantation and act out their weird fucking Confederate s- slave owner fantasies. And we know that that's true. Mm-hmm. What's the last word on Antebellum? Helen. Antebellum was a huge disappointment. It was on my top five most anticipated for the year. Um, if you want to watch a horror thriller with social commentary regarding racism, just go rewatch Get Out. Yeah, Sinclair? Yeah, last word for me, I really wanted to like this. And I just don't think that the writing gives the story any sort of justice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for me, it's Janelle Monet deserves better. Agreed. Each week, we challenge ourselves to watch films that fit a particular theme. This week's theme is Revenge is a Dish Best Served Cold. This is our week in entertainment. Um, Helen? Yeah? You go first. 
All right. My film is Jennifer's Body from 2009, written oh by God. Diablo Cody and directed by Karen Kusama, starring Megan Fox, Amanda Seyfried, and Adam Brody. Jennifer's Body focuses on the friendship between two high school girls, Jennifer and Needy. Jennifer is popular and hot. Needy is reserved and wears glasses. Therefore, she's not hot. But actually, it's Amanda Seyfried, so she's hot. I was just going to say, played by the hottest actress (laughs) other than Megan Fox. (laughs) Yeah. Everything changes when Jennifer's body becomes inhabited by a demon and she needs to feast on teenage boys to stay alive. I have wanted to watch this movie for a really long time. When it first came out, it got panned Mm -hmm. and it's kind of gained a cult following since then. Initially, I was like, oh, it's not going to be good. Fine. I'm not going to see it. And now, like 11 years later... (laughs) Like, all right, it's the time. <laughs> this movie is so much fun. I loved it. Have you both seen it? Yes. I have not seen it. Okay. I saw, I saw this when it first came out. So, I mean, I think it's maybe not clear to everybody, but it's pretty clear to me that a lot of this is a metaphor for the horror that is a woman's burgeoning sexuality and how in right. a lot of, you know, film and pop culture, for whatever reason, a woman being sexual is the scariest thing in the world like didn't we literally just revisit this last night about last week on carrie yeah exactly we were talking about this with carrie and sinclair and you and i i know have talked about it with raw raw the the french film so that is that's very evident uh in this film and it also you know is a great showcase of how high school girls can be very vicious (laughs) to one another the thing that happened with this movie it, it was written in the same year that Diablo Cody wrote Juno, which was a massive success. Oh, my gosh. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And unfortunately, this movie in the hands of a studio was just so poorly marketed. And they really just took this idea of, oh, these two hot actresses and maybe there's like some lesbian vibes happening here. And that's all they ran with. Mm. They're not. They didn't look at what this movie's really about and what it's really mm-hmm. trying to say. And to the point where the all male marketing team that from the studio that distributed this wanted Megan Fox to do a live questionnaire with amateur porn sites to promote this film. Right. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Like that's, all, that's all they saw it as was let's use. Think of the, the shit that she has had to deal with. <sighs> oh yeah. And, and that was something that I thought of watching this as well was like, First of all, she's actually really great in this movie. She's a good actress. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she gets shit on because, you know, for a number of reasons. But especially with Me Too happening and stuff that she's come out and said about her experience working with Michael Bay on Transformers, she has gotten a lot of flack and she shouldn't have. And this Mm -hmm. is an example of that. Absolutely. In terms of this fitting into our theme, uh, spoiler spoiler for anyone that hasn't seen Jennifer's body but basically what happens is she is taken by this <laughs> indie rock band that is led by Adam Brody's character Nikolai and they're not having success so they've decided to turn to the devil and sacrifice a virgin to him to get success and that's where they abduct Megan Fox and they kill her to sacrifice her to the devil turns out she's not a virgin and the demon enters her body instead and then she has to feast on these teenage boys bodies to Mm. stay alive she ends up killing and eating amanda seyfried's boyfriend's character and Mm. that breaks up their friendship amanda seyfried then goes on this revenge plot to 
get back at Megan Fox and in the end of the film then also goes to find the indie rock band that started this whole thing and uh, enact her revenge on them as well. Okay, so wait a minute. So it's Amanda Seyfried's character that's enacting revenge? Yes. Oh, okay. I would say that there is moments of revenge when it comes to Megan Fox's character as well, but it's really coming from Needy, who is Amanda Seyfried's character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically this movie is really fun. Um, there are There's some great... Uh, early 2000s indie rock music in it and there's some really priceless lines that are delivered really well by Megan Fox I would say if you were initially turned off by this film when it first came out go back and and revisit it because I really enjoyed it nice all right all right Edison what did you watch for Owie Ooh, okay well for my film this week I decided to kind of go in a different direction um so my revenge movie is the campy 90s classic the first wives club I just watched this for the first time recently Mm -hmm. really yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. <laughs> I saw it when it came out, uh, but not in the years, not in the like 20, however many years since. Mm-hmm. So yeah, The First Wives Club starring Goldie Hawn, Bette Midler, and Diane Keaton. I watched this with my like bubble of movie and board game gaze, drinking wine, <laughs> eating cake, watching The First Wives Club. Name a more Amazing. gay way to spend a Friday evening. I'll wait. Love it. Love it. <laughs> the tagline of this movie is, don't get mad, get everything, which mm. I love, but also isn't really at all what the film is because this is a revenge film where they they do all get quite mad and then they do get everything, but then kind of give it back or something. Mm. It's a confusing bit of revenge, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So the premise is basically these four young women in college made a vow to remain best friends forever, but then life does its thing and they've all been separated for years. Cut to the future, one of the four, played by Stalker Channing, in a far too brief appearance, commits Mm -hmm. suicide after her husband leaves her for a literal princess. At the funeral, the other friends reunite and over some wine and dinner discover that they have all been jilted by their first husbands, who left them for younger women. And thus, they begin the First Wives Club. So Mm -hmm. Goldie Hawn plays Elise, the drowning her sorrows in booze and plastic surgery aging movie star, Bette Midler plays Brenda, the housewife who gave everything to help her husband Morty build his sales empire. And Diane plays Annie, the sweet one, who's seeing a marriage counselor and pretending that it's just a rough patch for her and her husband. Although even their daughter can see he walks all over her. This movie is fun and frivolous and campy and full of kind of questionable messaging now. (laughs) Uh, It doesn't really age well at all but it is if you can just kind of like a lot of the films in the 90s if you can kind of take your mind and go into that era and be like okay i'm watching it with like these places it is still a fun watch mostly it's just so fun seeing goldie hahn bet midler and diane keaton act Mm -hmm. with one another yeah like they're so fun and they're so Mm -hmm. full like these are women who are already at a certain place in their career. They've been famous for decades. They're established. They're movie stars. They're older. They carry history and story before you've even laid eyes on them in the film. You know what I mean? Right. And and so you're on their side. I just loved it. I loved it, loved it. There was... It was a huge, huge, huge success. This film, when it came out, it only had a budget of $30 million, and it made 181 worldwide. Amazing. 
And so right away, there was a lot of talk about a potential sequel. And there were, for years, talk of a sequel of this film. But it didn't happen. And Goldie Hawn was giving an interview a few years back. And she said, uh, you know, everyone took a cut salary to do this so the studio could make what it needed. We all took a smaller back end than usual and a much smaller front end. And the film ended up doing incredibly well. It made a lot of money. We were on the cover of Time magazine. But two years later, when the studio came back with a sequel, they wanted to offer us exactly the same deal. We went back to ground zero. Had three men come in there, they would have upped their salaries without even thinking about it. But the fear of women's Mm -hmm. movies is embedded in the culture. So another sequel was never made. I know, isn't it? That's bullshit. I hate that. (laughs) Such bullshit. So I think the only apropos way of like for this revenge film to take proper revenge would be to do the sequel now. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) Right. Come back and do it again, y'all. Yes, meta revenge. Meta, meta revenge. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, it's fun. It's fun. It's on Prime Video. You can watch it there if you want to. Dame Maggie Smith is also in it as the like grand dame of New York society. She's wonderful. Ooh, a different role for her. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, the First Wives Club. Sinclair, what did you pick? (laughs) Oh, God. Okay, I'm so curious. I ha- I've had a bit of a time. Yeah, I know. Um, first you of all, upset. <laughs> I knew exactly what film I was going to do. And um, I'm not going to be talking about this film today, <laughs> unfortunately. What? Um, yeah, so this film was, um, you know how I always talk about movies that I consider to be an Everest? Yes. Uh, this was definitely on that list. And I've put off watching this film for a really long time and it fits this theme. So I thought, okay, this is the time I'm going to watch it. I pulled a double feature last night with Antebellum followed up by this film. And it was a huge mistake. That was a lot to do in one night. This film what the hell film is me. it? I'm not saying. I'm not saying on the podcast. Why? What? I can't. I, I've been... First of all, I can't talk about the film today because I've watched it so recently and it affected me so much that I actually need time away from it to think about it objectively and talk about it objectively. Because I'm still actually, I woke up this morning and I had walked away from it last night and been like, okay, fine. And then this morning I woke up and I was like, I'm not fine. So this is true. Did you like watch something on the dark web or something like something? No, no, this is a movie by a known critically acclaimed filmmaker for sure um like you're gonna tell us in private right i don't know if i want to to be honest oh my god yeah and maybe if i have a couple drinks you'll get it out of me but i i don't because what you guys do when i tell you you will watch it and i don't want it's not that this is a bad film i actually thought this was a really good film but i don't want me watching this to be the reason you guys watch it. I don't want you to associate what you see in this film with the fact that you heard about this film from me. Oh my God. You have so to So I'm not tell saying us. anything. So, okay, so part of me. So this segment for your week in entertainment <laughs> is not talking about segment the film is that I literally watched. not talking about the film you watched. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> I'm still getting over this. But however, I do have a backup film for everybody to watch that uh, you can watch instead. <laughs> This is infuriating. I know. This I'm is sorry. like saying, hey, guess what, guys? Oh, my God. I just heard the most amazing story, the most incredibly hot scalding tea about someone. But I yeah. can't tell you. I think that there's Aww. some listeners out there that, you know, may be able to 
guess or piece together or my well, okay give us three clues give no, us three clues so no oh my um, god you suck. i'm gonna say it's a film that is known to be controversial and it's by a known filmmaker who is a very evocative filmmaker and that's all i'm gonna say what decade what not, decade not saying so give us the decade no so but the reason <laughs> i had to preface this by telling you that was because i quickly watched this other film this morning and i okay it was great and stuff but i didn't i was so real i was still reeling from the other film that um anyway so you can actually watch diabolique or les diabolique which is french for the devils it's mm-hmm. from 1955 it's directed by henry georges clouseau and it's about a wife and a mistress of a sadistic boarding school headmaster and they plot to kill him he is mistreating them. He's an awful man. He is such an asshole. And they decide to hatch a revenge plan to kill him. So they form this unlikely bond and they slip him a sedative and they actually uh, drown him in the bathtub. But after they dispose of their the body, the next day they realize that the body has disappeared. Mm. So lots of intrigue, lots of uh, suspense. They start hearing that there's been sightings of him um, and he actually starts to uh, torment Seek his own revenge. In a way. Seek his own revenge. And this is a classic uh, suspense film that has really good twists and turns. And I actually don't want to give too much away about the plot because it will sp- actually spoil watching it. And there's a really cheeky thing at the end of this film where it says, uh, don't be devils. Uh, don't tell your friends about mm. you know, what you've seen in this film. Like, mm. spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Uh, very Hitchcockian. If you're into Alfred Hitchcock, uh, you'll really enjoy this film as well. And interestingly, there was a bit of a, a war over the rights to adapt this novel between this director and Alfred Hitchcock. Hitchcock lost out. But if you like Hitchcock, you'll also like this one as well. And uh, that's the film Lady Oblique and not the other film, which name I won't mention. Thanks. All of our <laughs> listeners are going to hate you, just so you know. <laughs> sorry. Not sorry. Infuriating. Maybe I'll talk about it at another time when I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> so now it's time for our In Focus segment. Each week we pick an artist and take a look at their filmography and break down the projects and moments that made them the fascinating creatives that they are today. So join us while we shake things up and make some waves while focusing on an entertainment company who's been leading audiences into a big room with a screen and taking us to some dark places. This company has been living the high life since their humble beginnings in 2012, releasing films that truly get under the skin. Although considered to be an independent venture, these heavy hitters don't look at the big studios as an enemy, but see themselves more as equals. They continue to provide us with a good time and rather release an uncut gem than an artistically tampered product. So grab your 20th century women and let's head out on those hot summer nights while we're young. We love the films of this company and talking about them could lead us to climax. It's time to put the films released by A24 in focus. (laughs) I love that. And and what's amazing is that there are still so many more. That I could have put into that intro (laughs) for sure. So a little history here about A24. A24 was founded by Daniel Katz and David Fenkel in uh, 2012. And it's an independent entertainment company that really they focus on distribution. And the cool thing about A24 is that 
they focus on releasing films that are edgy and experimental, and they give these films a real platform to be seen because the film is associated with A24. So it's rare that you get excited about a film company releasing a new movie as of late. Mm -hmm. And we always get excited when we see that there's a new A24 film coming out. Like normally you get excited about a director or an actor nowadays. It's because they've built up trust, right? Over the last Mm -hmm. eight years, they've just delivered film after film after film that we've really loved. And so you think, okay, yeah, they've got our, they have earned our trust. We've covered how many of their films on the podcast so far? That's basically um, (laughs) one of the reasons why we switched things up a little bit today because we have, you know, focused on films before like Moonlight and Hereditary and Uncut Gems. We've mentioned a lot um, about Under the Skin. Florida Project, Killing of a Sacred Deer, (laughs) Lady Bird, Bird, Disaster Disaster Artist, Artist, Midsummer. (laughs) But we still love A24 films so much that we actually wanted to make it an in focus. And it's really Mm -hmm. hard to isolate just one movie for them that really put them on the map because they had a few films that came out around the same time that helped them grow as a company really rapidly. And one of the big ones that they put out was Spring Breakers in 2012, which that's not a movie that's loved by everyone, but it's an edgy company that's based in New York. So what better than to release a film by an edgy director, Harmony Corrin? So Mm. that's already setting the brand from the beginning. And then Bling Ring had a lot of eyes on it as well because that was Mm -hmm. like Sofia Coppola and with the cast in it as well. So it was like, it was kind of of the time. I think that also drew a lot of attention to them. But I would say kind of really it was like room, right? Yeah. And those Mm. films started to get a lot of critical praise. Room premiered at TIFF and, you know, it also had a best acting Oscar win for Brie Larson. Then Moonlight won three Oscars, including Best Picture, and mm-hmm. also was part of one of the most memorable Oscar ceremonies ever. So yeah, that we've talked yeah. about many times. Yes. We have. If A24 were to have a pop culture moment, it would, of course, have been the Oscar situation with Moonlight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So because we've discussed so many A24 films before, we actually wanted to focus on three films that we each haven't seen. So we each got to pick an A24 film to watch this week that Mm -hmm. we have been wanting to see but never have watched. Mm -hmm. So Edison, why don't you start us off with the film that you picked? Okay, sure. Um, So the one that I was most excited to watch, um, mostly because I'm surprised that I haven't seen it already, was 2013's Enemy, uh, directed by Denis Villeneuve and starring Mm -hmm. Jake Gyllenhaal, Melanie Laurent, and Sarah Gadden. Uh, Enemy tells the story of Adam, a quiet, introverted, unassuming college professor, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, who happens to spot an exact lookalike of himself in a movie and then sets out to meet this actor, Anthony, also played by Jake Gyllenhaal. This movie is (laughs) mystifying, confusing, (laughs) fascinating, uh, very atmospheric. I think it's really cool. When I first watched it, I was like, okay, visually, I'm getting the kind of signature Denis Villeneuve style coming through. I was also just excited to see Toronto. It's shot here and to see like Queen (laughs) Video represented. Um, Aw, R.I.P. Yes. Mm -hmm. But I also found the story to be, uh, there were elements of it that almost felt a bit absurdist to me. 
I didn't really believe mm-hmm. that the people were go- would behave in the manner that in which they behaved as I was watching it. And then as I like reflected on the film more, I was thinking about really what was it trying to say? You know, like, for example, if I was watching a film and I saw a background actor who looked exactly like me, like exactly like me, I also would be like, whoa, what the fuck? And I would look through the credits and then I would immediately be like, where are they at on Instagram? And I would definitely try and like figure it out. But it would be like a mix of excitement and curiosity and like wonder and disbelief. Whereas Adam, Jake Gyllenhaal's character, goes right into like tension and anxiety and fear. And the film has like this, the score leads you into this. So everyone is like panic stricken about about it it's so Mm -hmm. suddenly so escalated as if it's like dire and i'm like i don't think you would get there yet at a certain point you might when you first when you actually meet them and you're like whoa we have the same scar like that kind of shit where my world would be flipping upside down but i (laughs) don't think you would get there right away so i don't know it lost me a little bit i do think it's a really really great film and i am interested have you both seen this yes this is this is one of my favorite films by denis villeneuve Okay, so I'm curious to know what you think it's about, Sinclair. What it's is about it? What's... It's about infidelity. It's all a metaphor for um, his relationship with women and infidelity. And the spiders represent women. Interesting. That's how I took it. Yeah. Now, because you, I... you see, the end is very quite iconic. The end is absolutely And the insane. opening is quite iconic. It opens with a spider being crushed. And every time he has an interaction with women, it's been a bit since I've seen it, but every time he has an interaction, especially his mother, you see a spider. Like you see the spiders hanging over the city. I think that big spider is his mother because it um, appears on the screen right after he has interactions with her. Right. And there is that insane shot of the like enormous spider over, over the, the city, whole but city. But hanging, hanging over him. Yes. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting because that I can definitely see that. Um, when I was like trying to think about it after, I, I don't know if it's just because I've been reading too much politically, what's like happening right now in America and whatever. But I'm like, I think that a lot of this is about um, living under like a, an authoritarian regime where you have no sense of individuality and you're trapped in this oh, spider web of control that you can't even get out of. He's caught in this spider web. And he has no sense of individuality. And it's his first little awakening is when he sees this like body double or this other copy of himself, which only seems to kind of further that. He talks about, like he's a professor. And when he's giving his lecture in, to the students in class, he's got like truth written on the chalkboard and it's all scratched out. And he's talking about totalitarian regimes. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, everyone use bread and circuses, which is a phrase that's like politically being used to mean giving diversion, distraction, or satisfying the most immediate of base requirements of a mm-hmm. populace. So it's like being trapped in this. Yeah. And I, I love that. I love that too. I think that's the beauty of this film is it, it is up for interpretation. It's all symbolism. It's all metaphor. You can interpret it as you like. There's so much in here, especially that ending. You could spend time thinking about that ending forever. Oh, absolutely! It's but so it's so wild. The, it's I need so to rewatch wild. it. I the the first and only time I've seen this movie was on an Air Canada flight. So mm, not the best setting for this. No, oh, wow. it really yeah, wasn't. No. <laughs> it was it was a really great film that 
I liked more the more that I thought and reflected on it. Right, so that's Enemy. What film did you pick, Helen? So I decided to watch Waves, which came out last year, written and directed by Trey Edward Schultz, starring Kelvin Harrison Jr., Taylor Russell, Lucas Hedges, and Sterling K. Brown. Here is the synopsis courtesy of IMDb. Waves traces the journey of a suburban family led by a well-intentioned but domineering father as they navigate love, forgiveness, and coming together in the aftermath of a loss. So, pardon my pun, but this movie made waves last year um, (laughs) and was getting a lot of Oscar buzz initially, but I feel like it fell into the trap of like peaking a little bit too early Mm -hmm. and then it got forgotten about. It just got lost in the conversation. You really got hit with this trailer a lot in theaters too. Yeah. Like every single movie you went to see around this time in the theater, the waves trailer was before it. Guys, this movie is stunning. Mm-hmm. And I I regret us not doing an episode on it. This is a fantastic movie, and I still haven't seen sh- it. Yeah, it's it's a shame that it did sort of lose that that awards season buzz. The writing, acting, and directing is superb, and there are some really fascinating things happening, specifically with the cinematography in this film. And there are very specific choices made with the aspect ratio throughout the entire film. I'm not somebody that's going to clock that technically, but I learned about it afterwards. And then I I realized like, oh, that was affecting me as I was watching it, Mm, whether I knew it or not. Mm -hmm. Because neither of you have seen it, I'm not going to, I don't want to spoil it because this film does actually shift significantly halfway through. And I don't want to spoil that for both of you. But this movie is so beautiful. Trey Edward Schultz, previously has written and directed Krisha, which I haven't seen, and then It Comes at Night, which I believe the three of us actually watched together. Yeah. So he's a a very exciting filmmaker, and it's pretty cool that all of his stuff has been through A24, so they clearly have a, a great partnership. The soundtrack and the score are really great in this film as well, and the this film is scored by Atticus Ross and Treadmaster. <gasps> Amazing. Yeah. I would say that the most noticeable thing for me in watching this was how viscerally it gave me anxiety like oh interesting not just from the subject matter but from the actual technical elements of this film and the way that it's shot and the way that music is used like it it is anxiety inducing Mm -hmm. to the point where like there were moments I actually felt thought I was gonna puke like I started to feel a little nauseated like there there's some 360 shots that happen that are okay 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 oh my god I need to see this I need to see it yeah Mm -hmm. so I don't actually want to say too much more because this film is is wonderful and I do like it's a shame we we haven't done it an entire episode on it because I think there would be a lot of really interesting stuff to talk about Mm -hmm. so yes waves from 2019 go watch it if you're if you're a film person which I mean if you're listening to this you probably are like Watch Waves. <laughs> okay, Sinclair, what did you pick? Oh, okay, it's been <laughs> it's been something this episode for me. Wow, know? another cheerful, for upbeat film. Fuck's sake, yeah. <laughs> you know, even for me, this episode has been a lot. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> so I ended up watching High Life from 2018. Oh. Mm-hmm. Directed by Claire Denis, starring Robert Pattinson, Juliette Binoche, and Mia Goth is also in mm-hmm. this as well. 
So this was a film that was distributed in the U.S. by A24, but Claire Denis is a French director. Little synopsis for you. A father and his daughter struggle to survive in deep space where they live in isolation. Aw, sounds, sounds sweet. That sounds so cheerful. Doesn't it? Doesn't it sound <laughs> sweet and touching? No. Wrong. This is Claire Denis, so you know it's going to be fucked up. There are images from Claire Denis films that I will never unsee. That's what, that's what I will say about her. She is very, very evocative, and mm. her films always are disturbingly erotic. They're gory, they're violent, and they're always dark visual poetry and vague as fuck. <laughs> if you're familiar with her, you tend to know what kind of dark road that the film could take. This one is the same. The poster is very misleading. It's this father and daughter holding fingers. No, no. That's why I asked you, Helen. I was like, when you no. started this film, Helen, how far did you actually get into it? Yeah, no, because I Because I don't think watched... you got that far. <laughs> no, I didn't. I probably only watched about 15 minutes and it, it, it starts off quite slow. And I, I think I just wasn't in the mood for it. So I, I didn't continue. Right. You actually think Robert Pattinson is an astronaut at first? Maybe oh. he's on a mission that's gone wrong. It's him that's and this, this child. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, maybe the woman that gave birth to this child was his wife. Maybe she died out there in space right. and he's there with his child now. No, not at all. This actually takes a turn into a plot that you aren't expecting at all unless you actually know the plot of this movie. They oh. are actually convicts on the oh. ship. What? Yeah, so they are convicts. So Robert Pattinson is a convict. He's with another team of convicts who were actually on death row on Earth. And as an alternative to being on death row, they could take part in these un unorthodox experiments in space. Oh, interesting. Yes. Oh, so my God. He is part of this crew that's led by Juliette Binoche, who is freaky deaky in this. And... <laughs> She is conducting these fucked up fertility and reproduction experiments. And they're also on some sort of suicide type mission that's heading towards a black hole. Whoa. Yeah. So Robert Pattinson is actually there for murder. Mia Goth is there as well. She plays this inmate who is the subject of these reproductive experiments. There is a box type room that's considered a sex room. Do you guys want to know this? Should I tell you? This yeah. fucked up. So yes. maybe because I didn't give you anything in my in my our weekend entertainment, yeah, I can on. give you a little <laughs> a little tidbit here. Um, <laughs> there's a, a so uh, this box that they call kind of like this the fuck box or the sex box, and the inmates have to go in and masturbate into this um, in this box, and Juliet Binoche, you know, gets their samples, but then at night Juliet Binoche like sneaks into these sex boxes and like rides a dildo in this fertility type ritual and it's the most artistic dildo scene i've ever seen <laughs> oh i've never God. seen anything like this like truly the most artistic dildo the, scene the i've most ever artistic seen. use of a dildo ever used <laughs> in film oh my god highlight <laughs> She then proceeds to rape Robert Pattinson in his sleep, steals his sperm, and inseminates Mia Goth with it. Just wow. to give you a little bit more. But anyway, other than that, this film doesn't really focus on the father-daughter relationship at all. <laughs> okay. His daughter Here's is a actually a product of this kind of experiment gone wrong, and everyone just gets all 
crazy on the ship and kills each other and they're left on their own to be father oh and daughter. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Like, so that's, that is bleak. my life. Yes. I, I got to really shout out Robert Pattinson. We talk about this a lot, but he's so daring with his choices. Mm-hmm. He craves working with auteur daring filmmakers. And he actually pursued Claire Denis to be mm-hmm. in this film. Like he cool. pursued it just like we chatted about him pursuing uh, the Safdie brothers for good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is, you know, Claire Denis first English language speaking film. Mm-hmm. Luckily for him. Yeah. High life. Yay. Really fucked up and hypnotic. Did Yay. you like it? Yeah. In a lot of ways, I did. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. I like her. I love. I I really like. I I admire Claire Denis for her boldness. Mm-hmm. She's she's um, definitely a unique filmmaker. Cool. All right, Helen. What is up and coming for A24? Okay, so a couple things up and coming for A24. I'm gonna talk about two of them. One coming out soon that maybe we're gonna be doing for an episode. Um, Sophia Coppola's On the Rocks, which mm-hmm. Sinclair. What? Why are you laughing? I'm laughing because at y'all giving me such grief. Oh, I thought that's. Because I thought you were being deserved, shady. Maybe deserved. we're going to be doing it. No, I'm. Yeah, definitely. You deserve the shade because we've been talking about this for a while, and then <laughs> out of nowhere, yesterday he says, "Hey guys, what about this movie?" <laughs> we're like just been Classic. talking about it with you for a month. Yeah, I think it's a bad more title. than a month. You think it's a bad title? Yeah. I don't. I like it. Their relationship is on the rocks. He probably drinks a lot of his drinks on the rocks, Edison. Yeah, I I just find it unmemorable, clearly. Okay. Or you just don't listen when we talk. Yeah, or you Okay, so On the Rocks, coming out in October, uh, directed by Sofia Coppola, starring Bill Murray and Rashida Jones. Description courtesy of IMDb. A young mother reconnects with her larger-than-life playboy father on an adventure through New York. I'm really excited about this. This is Sofia Coppola and Bill Murray reconnecting. We all loved Lost in Translation. So... So that is one that is coming out very soon. Very exciting. The other is go- is the Green Knight. Um, yes. We yeah we saw a trailer for this recently. A description courtesy of IMDb: a fantasy retelling of the medieval story of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. This is written and directed by David Lowry, starring Dev Patel and Alicia Vikander. This looks really cool. It looks so so so, so good. Yeah. So they and there's a lot of other stuff they got up and coming as well. But those are the two that I wanted to highlight. So as always, very exciting. Uh, Sinclair, you did watch something as a hidden gem, did you not? Yeah, this one didn't get a ton of um, attention, I I, I feel like. It's a Mm -hmm. film called In Fabric. It's from 2018. Mm -hmm. It's directed by Peter Strickland, and it's starring uh, Marianne Jean Baptiste. And In Fabric is basically about a woman who goes to a department store and is kind of almost in a way looking to get her groove back. And she purchases this beautiful red dress from this very stunning but creepy sales clerk. Okay. And she takes this dress home and the dress is actually haunted. Ooh. And weird shit starts to go down. I don't want to give away too much. This has been a big episode for me. There's... Um, <laughs> definitely some tie-ins to a retail type cult in this there's a lot of strange rituals with mannequins a little masturbation a lot of mannequin vaginas i won't get too far into this it's been too much already this has a really cool retro horror feel to it very 70s horror Mm. vibes like very um dario argento original Mm. suspiria and uh, the music's really cool too and a24 does art horror very well 
Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. so they really good do. at it, and they're great with with horror that is experimental, has a lot of metaphor and a lot of uh, symbolism. This one is not their best, but it is a lot of fun, for sure. All right, guys, there's only one way to end this in focus segment of A24 films, and that is to play a fun little game of Mary Fuck Kill. Edison, why don't you start us off, go through that long, long list of A24 films and pick the one that you want to marry. Okay, it really was hard because there are so many amazing films that I have loved, loved, loved over the past decade from them. But I will marry Moonlight. It is my favorite film on their list. It just moved me so deeply. I thought it was a perfect, a perfect movie. And so, yeah, it would be a perfect marriage. (laughs) How about you, Helen? Yeah, this was a really, really difficult decision. There mm-hmm. was like 15 I could have picked, but I decided <laughs> to go with The Florida Project. Mm-hmm. Um, our first episode ever of Talk Movie to Me. I love this movie with all of my heart and soul. I love this movie and I would marry it in a heartbeat. <laughs> Sinclair? I'm going to marry Under the Skin. It's one of my favorite movies of all time and I could watch it over and over and over again. I'm actually reading the book right now Ooh, as cool. well. Love, love, love Under the Skin. Okay, Edison, what film do you want to fuck? This was also kind of difficult, actually, uh, but I'm picking The Witch. I think there was mm. just something so like exciting, explosive, and orgasmic about that final sequence in the film with all the witches chanting oh, and great. flying by the fire. Yeah. It was like celebratory and like it was an orgasm. It was so sexy, I thought. Mm-hmm. Helen? I How love w- that movie. Um, I'll be fucking Locke, obviously. Uh, Tom Hardy's face for an entire movie. Like, obviously. Right. Sinclair? I mean, I guess I have to go with High Life because of that artistic dildo scene. I mean, okay. It's like nothing I've ever seen before. I mean, I, I, I gotta you got to see yum, it to honey. believe it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, this is going to be really hard, guys. We ha- I mean, not for me. I know exactly yeah. what film I'm going to kill. So do I. But, um... <laughs> okay, Edison, what film do you want to kill? Uncut Gems. I really <laughs> no! didn't like this movie. Whatever. My, my frazzled nerves have only just begun to recover from being utterly graded by the relentless screaming of this movie. It's got to die. Okay, you're wrong. I'm killing while we're young. It's just, it did nothing for me. And I don't, I'm going to be honest, you guys, I don't really like Noah Baumbach films. Yes, you got beef with him for sure. I got beef with him. Okay, well, obviously I was going to kill Uncut Gems, but if it's already receiving a death from Edison, I'm going to (laughs) really piss off Helen and I'm going to kill Good Time. Oh my God, fuck you. I'm killing both both Brother films. No. No, you can't kill Good Time. Good Time is a good movie. Well, you can it's kill dead. Gems. No, you, sorry, you got to take that back. I am not taking it back. I'm okay. angry with you this episode. And this has Just been so another you know. episode of Talk Movie to Me. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> okay, this has been another episode of Talk Movie to Me. If you would like to get in touch with us, our email is talkmovietome at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at talkmovietome. Tweet us at TMTM Podcast. Rate and review us on iTunes. Check out our website, talkmovietomepodcast.com. And please sign up for our Patreon. I think that's all the things I need to say. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. Bye. Bye. <laughs>